Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. Welcome, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners. I am here right now, here live with a new friend, a good friend, Ryan Mickler. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? It's been, uh, what, two, three? I don't know. Maybe it's been a month. How long has it been? Yeah. So I got to look over to my calendar here. Yeah, we sorry together, to throw you off here. Yeah, we were together in Austin at the Front Row Dads Retreat. Yeah, almost a month. A month. That's yeah. crazy how fast time goes. It was an awesome time. And... For all of our listeners, that was where I met Ryan for the first time. Ryan was a guest and a participant at our Front Row Dads Retreat, which in and of itself is a magical experience in a deeply committed community of dads who really care about strengthening their purpose, sharing their best strategies, and creating a tribe or a brotherhood to help each other in this important journey of being a dad. And Ryan, we got to meet you there. You were there as a participant, and we got to interview you. And in real time during the interview, I thought, oh, we've got to bring Ryan to the Achieve Your Goals community because so much of what you shared, even though it's through the lens of this is for men and for fathers, I thought everybody can appreciate the values that you were sharing. So I'm yeah. super pumped to have you here and Good. ready to have a great conversation if you're ready Let's to roll. Let's do it. I am ready. Let's do this. Ryan, I want to start with a question that I got to hear you answer when we were in Austin. And I was immediately captivated by your story. And the question that I got the privilege to ask you was before Order of Man, and we're going to get to what led to the creation of this community, which is thriving and growing. And what are you teaching these men through your community? But before all that, I wanted to know what were maybe some kind of defining moments in your life or seminal moments that led to you becoming Ryan Mickler, to becoming a person who is now leading a community. And I'll let you go with that where you want. I got yeah. to hear some incredible stories. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I knew you mentioned you're going to ask this question is that I was thinking about this. And I think this is true for a lot of people. The defining moments in our lives are the ones that are the most difficult to go through, right? Like I remember in my life, the most difficult times, like the darkest places of my life are what I look back on now and think that is a pivotal moment that changed who I am and how I view the world and what I can do. And it actually strengthened me. If we were to go back to the very beginning, my dad was out of the picture for the most part, unfortunately, by the time I was three years old, just wasn't there. You know, my mom and him went through a divorce. I had a stepfather come into my life when I was about nine years old. And I remember glimpses. There was little glimpses of him being a great father. But at the end of the day, he was an alcoholic. Never abusive, just not really present as a father should be in my mind now, knowing what I know. That marriage didn't work out. When I was 14 years old, my mom was remarried again. And this gentleman was very charismatic, seemed like he cared, very successful when it came to business. But all of the tools and the abilities and gifts and everything that he was blessed with and he had developed over a lifetime of being in the business, he used to push other people down and he used to mm. manipulate and coerce. And so, man, growing up, I just didn't have a great example of what it meant to be a father. And I remember literally being devastated when my mom went through the divorce with this man who came into my life when I was 14, because that was like my first real opportunity to see how a man behaved. And yet it wasn't wow. a great example, right? Wow. 
Now, fortunately for me, my mom always had enough foresight to involve me in sports. I was involved in Boy Scouts. So she knew and she understood the importance of a man or a boy being around other boys, being around other men to get this information from and learn how to interact and behave and how a man shows up. I had some amazing, amazing high school sports coaches who I look at as mentors and role models. And I still stay in touch with almost well 20 years later. But, you know, the most pivotal moment, though, John, to answer your question for me was roughly nine years ago, my wife and I had gone through a separation. I had a one-year-old son at the time. And for a long time, I blamed her for that separation. I remember literally going in my son's room. He's one at the time, maybe a little younger. And laying on the floor and crying and talking to a picture of him saying, dude, I'm going to win you back. And it was like that pivotal and that moment is like so real. And so for a long time, I blamed her. I said, why wasn't she loyal? How could she do this to me? How could she take away my son? And I don't remember why this changed, but I know where it changed. And I know when it happened, I was driving down the road. I remember the road I was on. I remember the cross street I was on. And I thought to myself, you know what, Ryan, this marriage of yours might be over. And that was the first time that I came to the conclusion or faced reality that this was probably over. And I said, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can. I can't control my wife. I can't manipulate her. I can't win her back. I just have to go to work on myself. And hopefully I can salvage the marriage. If I can't, I'm going to be the best catch for the next woman to come along in my life. And what was really fascinating is as I did this and I took this journey of surrounding myself with good men and putting good information in my brain And doing all the things that everybody listening to this in one form or another knows they should be doing, it was like I walked over to a wall and flipped the switch on the way that she responded to me. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time focused on how can I tweak this or manipulate this or do certain activities or say certain words or send certain emails to get other people to do what I want them to do. When in all reality, if we would just turn that around and say, what can I do to be the best person possible? People are going to respond to that. And she did. And we salvaged our marriage. This year, we'll have been married for 13 years. I've got four children. And, you know, life's still hard at times. We still have disagreements and arguments. We're arguing last night about the dog and why he was barking. You know, it's just part of the deal. (laughs) But we can get through this stuff because I've taken responsibility for the thing that I can control in our marriage, which is me. And I put a lot of emphasis and responsibility on the way that I show up as a husband and I show up as a father. And there's a lot that I can do within the family dynamic when I show up the way I know how I should be showing up. Yeah, that's awesome, Ryan. I just want to share with the group as a listener, a few things I really appreciate that you just shared. One is I find it really interesting. And I think it's worth all of us asking, what is it in life that draws us towards certain strengths? And in your case, You have become a teacher for many different men about what it can mean to be a man. The irony is you didn't even have a great father figure as a kid. And I think that's really a cool thing to notice that what you have allowed to emerge as a strength is the thing that you never had. I wouldn't be surprised many of us discovered that that's a pattern, that we often allow strengths to emerge to help others, that ultimately they were what we needed the most at different times in our life. I also love hearing, Ryan, that you chose to take the position of, hey, if I want to improve my relationship, I've got to work on who I am as a person and how that's going to attract versus how do I influence somebody else. And what's interesting, I'm always listening for patterns. When I hear folks 
like yourself who have been helping many others. You know, we did an episode here. I think we released it Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. where Brandy Salazar and also Stacey Martino, both relationship coaches, one of the trends in both of their answers was how important it is in our relationships that we really put the focus on ourselves and how do we become the person that will attract the relationship that we need versus wondering or worrying about, can we control what other people think of us? And so for me to see that pattern and then you sharing that again today, it's really helpful for me. And I've been married 11 years. I've got three little kids. So awesome. what was I arguing about this morning? It was always <laughs> about the trash, right? Right. Just stuff that's not really all that important, right? Yeah. And really uninteresting to people who don't have 11 years of marriage and three kids. Right. They'd right. be amazed at the things that you could debate about. Um, <laughs> you had, if I remember, another experience in your life. You spent some time in Iraq. And yeah. if I remember that There was maybe a lesson or two or a perspective that that may have given you that was also formative for you. Is there anything you could share about that? Yeah, you know, what's really fascinating. A lot of people obviously are familiar with, to some degree, what the military would be like. A lot of people that are listening to this probably have served in the military or a very structured environment, whether that's Mm -hmm. in their work or maybe they are a police officer or a firefighter. And so you understand this. But what was really fascinating is when I was in Iraq, there literally was not a day that went by where we didn't get hit with a rocket and mortar. I mean, every single day without fail. And part of my job while I was in Iraq was to take the information that was coming from the observation post around the base and distill that down and figure out how exactly were we going to respond to this? Is this a threat that's something we don't need to respond to? Is this something that we do need to respond to? And if we do, how are we going to do it? What's the force size? How are we going to respond to this threat? And that was my job. And what was really fascinating about this and difficult at the same time is the way that I went about my duties and my responsibilities literally spelled the difference between life and death for another human being. If I didn't do my job and if I didn't show up the way that I had been trained to do, that meant that one of our soldiers wouldn't get to come home and wouldn't get to see his son play baseball or go to his daughter's dance recital or be with his wife again. And that's a pretty heavy responsibility. And what it's taught me is that, you know, there's a time for play, right? There's a time for play. There's a time for fun. There's a time for lightheartedness, but there's also a time for seriousness. And I wish if I could just like instill one virtue into somebody would be like knowing when it's time to get serious and put it all on the line And really double down and take all of the training and the experiences and the cultures and the beliefs and the stories and the conversations that you've had and use that stuff as this like, this level, like life is serious. The choices that you're making right now, although they might sound trivial, like it might sound trivial that you decided to hit the snooze button this morning. It might sound trivial if instead of eating a healthy breakfast, you have a big, huge, stinking burrito, right? Like that stuff might sound trivial, but the way that we do those one things pour over into every element of our lives. And I think it's really, really important that we have this seriousness about life because it literally is life or death. It might not be physical death, but certainly spiritual death, emotional death. We have these detachments from the work that we're doing. We're distant from our families. And it's because we're not taking this as seriously as I think it should be taken. 
For the record, I hit my snooze button three times this morning. <laughs> it's however, hard, man. However, I ate a really healthy breakfast. All right. So I feel like I'm about equal there. That's right. I'm about balanced. Well, that out. John, and I got to say this too. Like the way that I say things sometimes makes it sound like, oh, well, Ryan never hit snooze. No, that's not true. I hit the snooze button. I eat unhealthy at times. I yell at my kids. I lose my temper. Like I do all of that stuff. The one thing that I've never done is said that I'm the expert. Like I'm on this journey, right? I'm on a journey to become a great husband, a great father, a great business owner, a great man within community that's admired and respected and influential within the community. But that doesn't mean I don't mess up. I'm just on this journey and I want people to come with me. If you're on board with that, let's do this together. If not, that's okay. I'm driving on. See, what I hear when you gave that advice earlier was not that you were necessarily perfect, but what I hear is that you're reminding us to be aware that everything we do has a consequence. Everything we do has a trajectory. There's no neutral. Everything we do is either more deeply ingraining one type of habit or another. And that I can really fully appreciate. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that. One of the things I've enjoyed since I got to know you, seeing some of your communications with your community, you really believe in the importance of integrity. And one of the reasons I've loved hearing that from you is because I think as a dad, as a husband, as an entrepreneur, the idea of integrity is such a big deal. I'd love to know what does integrity mean to you and why is it so important and how is it something that we could strengthen? Yeah, I think at a basic level, integrity is just being a person of your word, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you say, I'm going to do this, then you have to do it. So I'll give you a prime example. Uh, A couple of days ago, my son said, dad, can we go play catch? Well, a couple of days ago was pretty busy. It was a busy day, but I said, yes. And so I had to schedule my day and tweak my day and adapt my day in accordance with what I told him. Could I have said to my son, oh, I'm sorry, but I know I told you I was going to go play baseball with you, but my day got really busy. Like, is that a valid excuse? Yeah. He hears that and he doesn't rationally understand that. He says, well, dad's lying to me. He lied to me. Now, some people say, well, it's not really a lie. It's a lie. Like you said you were going to do it and you didn't do it. So integrity is about being a person of your word. I mean, bottom line. Now, how do you cultivate this? I think part of the way that you do this, and this is going to sound really counterintuitive, and I don't know that a lot of people would look at this necessarily, stop saying yes to everything. Mm. Like stop saying, like your default answer should be no. See, I think a lot of people want to say, oh, I'm going to say yes to everything. And I want to get this opportunity and that opportunity. I want to do all these things. Look, I appreciate that. And that sounds really noble. But at the end of the day, like if you can't fulfill your commitments, then that yes. And that positive attitude is actually getting you in trouble. So I know exactly what I want. And I know what I can say yes and no to that's going to help me move closer to that objective. If my son says to me, dad, can we play catch this morning? And I get somebody that says, hey, I would like to do a podcast with you at 10 o'clock. And yet that's the time I have slotted for my son. Then the answer has to be no. Yeah. But I can't make that decision in the moment. Like that decision has to be made already. I get a lot of people that say, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. or I'd love to talk with you. I can meet with you after five o'clock in the evening. To which my response is, no, I don't do podcast interviews after five because that's my family time and that's the commitment that I've made. So it's a matter of knowing what you want, knowing what you should say yes to, making those decisions beforehand, and then just exercising the muscle of 
consistency and commitment. You're not going to get this right all the time, but you go back and you look and say, man, I got this right today. Or man, I really fell short today. What can I do better tomorrow? And you just build this muscle, build this muscle, and you can consistently see the growth that you can have when it comes to being in integrity and being a man of your word. You know, what I really appreciate about what you just shared, Ryan, is I had a mentor of mine who used to say this all the time, and you just described it really eloquently. And he talked about how the key to knowing when to saying yes and when to saying no, this is exactly what you just described, is we don't know when to say yes or what to say no to in life until we have criteria. Like you just gave an example, like you know ahead of time before you even get to a certain moment that you're going to be able to say yes or no to something because you already have these criteria. And criteria is like a code word for values. Sure. What do I really value? And so what I hear between the example you gave is that you're really clear on what you value. And so making difficult decisions, in my mind, can actually become easier because you have these criteria. But if I don't know what I value in my work, if I don't know what are the lead dominoes, what are the three things that are going to make the other 20 things go better, if I don't have these things prioritized and lined up with certain values, then I don't know what to say yes or no to. You're always going to be second guessing too, right? Because I've made decisions where I say yes or no. And because I don't have that criteria, like you're talking about in the back of my mind, like, Oh, did I make the right decision? Like, did I do the right thing? And then we have this self doubt. And then that starts to plant its seed in the way that we interact in our work and our kids and everything else versus no, I told this guy, I wasn't going to meet him after five o'clock. I already had that criteria in place. Did I miss an opportunity? Potentially, but it doesn't matter because this is what I value and I've already decided that. Yeah. By the way, I have to share with you, you're giving this example of playing catch with your son. So I got to tell you something that happened for me last night. So my son, my oldest son, Ace, he's seven years old. And so baseball season just started. Yeah. And I had an experience last night that's like almost exactly what you're talking about. And I want to share this because it was so meaningful for me that I hope others can find their own meaning through this story. When I got home, Ace had said to me, he said, Dad, we got to go play catch. Now, when I got home, our two-year-old and our five-year-old, they also wanted my attention. My wife needed my attention. The house needed my attention. Not to mention that I had some things happening at work yesterday that I could have justified all day long. I have to give my attention to some things right now. And what ended up happening is we went out into the backyard and we start playing catch. And just to give a little bit of insight, you know, if you're a dad or a mother of a boy or a girl, I don't know about all of you, but when I've had our first kid seven and a half years ago, I remember one of the things that was on my like bucket list or my dreams list is I can't wait until my kids get old enough, and at different ages, it's different activities, that I can do things that I love with them. Yeah, And I definitely. actually have held an image for a long time. I mean, I've had lots of images, like they'll trail run with me one day, we'll hike, we'll play this, we'll do that. But one of the images that I've held for the longest time, probably even before I had kids, was I can't wait until I can just play catch with one of my kids. Because I don't know yeah. about you, Ryan, but to me, anytime I can throw or catch something that flies through the air, that's meditative. And I could do that for hours. I did when I was a kid. I've done it as a grown-up with my buddies with Frisbees. Well, last night, it was a pivotal moment for me because 
I had all these things going and I feel fortunate that I did make the decision. I was going to throw the baseball with Ace. And the nice thing is at that age, it's when they can finally start to catch it. Yes. It's it's not like fetch, right? It's actually (laughs) catch. That's right. That's right. Until they learn how to catch it, you're playing fetch with your kid. And it's like, it's not quite as cool when they can't catch anything. (laughs) Um, And now he can finally catch it. So as we're playing catch last night, and I will say it was the first time that I've played catch with my son. And largely because it's the first time that he really could actually catch the ball sure, and throw it back. And we played catch and we're about 20 minutes in and I'm sitting there realizing the irony that for eight years, since before I had kids, I've been wishing and waiting for and dreaming about the moment I could play catch. And yet how easy it was to be so caught up in all of these things in my life that the thing that I've been waiting for and wanting the most I was actually despising before I got into it because of the fact that I was letting my priorities and my values get, you know, crossed up and mixed up. At the end of it, we played catch and I felt good about it. But I thought how interesting that the things that we wish for and ask for when we finally get them, we could complain about them because we allow our values to get messed up. So I just thought I'd share that. That's a great story. No, it's a great, you know, and part of the thing I think we run into, and this is especially true just in modern times and the fact that we have technology is our desire and the story that we've been led to believe that we have to do it all, right? Like we have to be busy all the time or we're not being productive. We have to be hustling and grinding 24 seven. We have to be on all the social media platforms. We have to do all of the recreational activities. And my thought is like, I don't want to live like that. Like, I don't want to be grinding 24 seven. I want to work hard when it's time to work. And then I want to play hard with the things that are important to me, like my children and my wife and the vacations and the things that we like to do together. This is the balance conversation. What's really funny too is there's a big conversation now happening that's like work-life balance doesn't exist. I'm like, mm, for me, like I want to find the balance that works for me. It's not the same for everybody, but I do want to involve myself in work. I do want to balance that with family. I do want to be involved in charitable organizations and coaching my kids as teams. And so you have to set up these boundaries and recognize that you can't do it all. You shouldn't do it all. And it's perfectly okay to say, no, I'm not interested in that because I'm putting my emphasis and priority over here. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of I was just rereading this morning one of my favorite books called The Myths of Innovation by Scott Birkin. I first read this book, I think, eight years ago. And when I say I read it, I didn't really read it. I thought I read it, but I I wasn't ready for it. And when I was rereading it this morning, something that you just said of you're never going to get it all done, you know, it reminds me of one of the things that Scott teaches really well is that, and he studies creative entrepreneurs and inventors Mm -hmm. and the legendary icons that we've all heard of. And one of the things he talks about is that busy people are not creative people. There's a strong correlation. The busier people are, it's very common that they struggle with creativity. Whereas if you look at great thinkers and innovators and inventors and entrepreneurs, they actually go out of their way to have time where they're stopping and thinking. Like the whole myth about Newton sitting under the tree and an apple fell. I don't think an apple actually fell on his head. Right. Um, But what we do know is that he used to sit under trees. Sure. And so this whole idea of you're never going to get it all done, you actually need to create time and space as an entrepreneur, as a thinker for things to come and to happen. We often think, no, I just need to work, work, work. And then I'm going to find these new creative answers. What you shared reminded me of that. I thought I'd share that 
as it's a hard because no, I, I haven't read that book. I'll have to. It's hard because we are, like I said, we are just led to believe that, oh, you have to go, you have to go, you have to do this, do this 100%, especially as achievers. Achievers are doers, right? Everybody listening to this podcast or on the Facebook stream mm-hmm. right now is to some degree an achiever. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to this. And by the very nature of you being an achiever, it means that you're also an action taker. But there comes a point in time where that action is actually a detriment versus let me pause, let me stop for a second, back up, is what I'm about to do the best thing I could be doing? Or at the end of that action, is what I did the best thing I should have done? What can I do to improve? How can I change this? That reflection is critical, critical. Ryan, I'm imagining, in fact, I can tell in real time because we're streaming this, I can see that people are loving what they're hearing. Andy Storch, he wanted to chime in, by the way, that he's sitting in an airport lounge watching this and he was actually eating a cookie when you talk about making healthy eating decisions. Put that down and go get a salad, Andy. Come on, man. (laughs) John Negretti just commented that uh, he used to be way more creative when he was less busy. So thanks for the real-time feedback, guys. Yeah, Ryan, I want to go back to Order a Man What was the moment or the decision that caused you to start this community? And I'd love to hear a little bit about what the journey has been like for you from deciding that you want to help men and where it's gotten you today. What's that journey been like? Yeah. So if I'm being, you know, completely truthful with the way that I started, I thought, you know, I see that there's a ton of information out there for men. Like we're not lacking for that information. But there's a definite disconnect between what we know and what we're actually implementing in our lives. That's a story as old as time itself. So I thought to myself, man, there's got to be a better way. Like there's got to be a way to teach guys how to take that information and then apply it. But more selfishly than that, it was, I've got to find a way to do this for myself. And so I had a little bit of podcasting experience with a financial planning practice that I own. That's a different conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I had been doing that podcast and I really enjoyed the medium. And I thought, man, what if I started a podcast on this subject of masculinity? That would give me an opportunity to reach out to gentlemen like yourself and these other high, high achieving men and figure out how they're actually doing it. So that's why I started Order of Man. Like this is an opportunity for me to find other men who are successful and gain their insights and then just apply that in my life. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I would name this, right? Naming, like you've named businesses. Mm. It's like, that's one of the hardest things to do is like to come up with a name for this. Yeah. But I specifically called it order of man for a reason. Like when I hear order, I think of a society, a brotherhood, an organization, a fraternity of men who are all working together towards a common goal. And the most successful I've ever been in my life, whether that was when I was playing sports, whether that was when I was in the military and serving in Iraq, whether that was me in my financial planning practice, is when I banded with other people. That's always the case. And I thought, man, what a cool opportunity to create a brotherhood of men working together towards that common good. And so we started in March of 2015, so just over two years ago now as of this recording, And it's really taken off. And it's a testament to the power of a group of men or any group of people towards a common goal, working together and being willing to share their victories and their struggles so that we can all be better. That's awesome. That's awesome. Speaking of masculinity, if this falls into that category, one of the things that I learned from you at the Front Row Dads Retreat in Austin last month was that 
there's some innovative, I consider them innovative, things that you do with your kids at different ages. If I remember, I think you even refer to it as creating, I don't know if you use the word ceremony, I interpreted it as that. Sure, Creating sure. these rite of passage experiences for your kids. Could you share any examples of that? Yeah, definitely. And that's what I call, I call it a rite of passage. And we don't really get that anymore, especially men. I think women to some degree have it a little bit more, even physiology, it's kind of like, you know, when you're a woman, right? But when it comes to men, it's like these boys don't really know when they're men and society is not really telling them they have to quote unquote man up anytime soon, which is why we have 30 and 40 year olds that are still in their basement of the mom's house playing video games. And uh, <laughs> it's a problem. And these yeah. are adults, but they aren't men, they're males because they'd never really learned what was required in order to be what I would consider a man. And so I thought to myself, you know, I've got four kids, three boys, one girl. And I've got uh, last year, my son just turned eight years old. And I thought to myself, what an awesome opportunity now that he's eight. I know your oldest is seven, where he starts to kind of understand to some degree what's going on. Like, I want to be like dad. Like there's something about dad that's a little bit different. I want to be like that. I don't know what it is, but what an awesome opportunity that we as fathers have to teach our boys and our daughters what it means to be responsible adults. Yeah. And so what I did with my rite of passage, and I'll create different ones as they get older and hit benchmarks, is I thought to myself, all right, I believe that a man is a protector, a provider, and a presider. We can talk about that later if we get to it. But at the end of the day, that's what a man does. I need to teach my son to some degree, whatever he's capable of understanding at this point, how to do that. And so we planned a camping trip. And I said, you're going to plan the trip. He planned the trip. I said, you're going to pack for yourself. He packed for himself. I said, you're going to figure out our food list and what we're going to do for food. And he figured that all out and wrote it all down. And then I said, all right, I'm going to give you this. And I gave him a little Gerber multi-tool pocket knife. And I said, here, this is for you. We're going to use this. And so we did some different activities on our camp out. We did some geocaching. He had to build his own fire. We had a little BB gun. So we had to shoot targets and hit certain targets. Like there was just nice. a lot of different things that we did. And we just sat around the campfire at night and we talked about who he is as a male, a boy, and what it's going to take for him to be a man. He loves animals. He wants to be a veterinarian when he grows up. Awesome. And I got him a lion, a lion cub, and a full-grown lion. And I showed him the cub. I said, this is you right now. You're a cub. You have power and you have potential, but you haven't quite grown into this lion yet. And there's a gap between where you are now and you being a lion and having this mane and being powerful and being the king and the ruler of the jungle and your domain. And that gap is the protect, provide, preside. So I went through those three components of masculinity with him. You know, the coolest thing about that is he still has those figurines. They're sitting on his nightstand. And after that rite of passage, he came to me a couple of days later. He said, dad, can I take these figurines, these animals to school? I said, yeah, show and tell or what? And he's like, yeah, but I want to talk about the three P's. And yeah. so he went into class and he talked about the three P's, but at the end of the thing, he was awarded. We got him a little 22 rifle, bolt action rifle that he loves to shoot now. And so it's just, man, stuff like that is so, so fun to do. I love it. You know, my first thought when you shared that story with us in Austin was, man, Ryan's kids could raise my kids at this point. <laughs> you did say that. You did say that's right. I don't know if that's true, but man, I, my job, look, here's the deal as a father, this sounds really interesting, but our job at the end of the day, like if you strip away everything else is to render ourselves obsolete, right? Yeah. 
Like my job is to raise a kid who doesn't need me. He might want me and I would love that he wants me around, but he doesn't need me around to function. And so we have to find ways to equip our children, our daughters and our sons, and even those kids in the neighborhood, which may not have a healthy adult influence in their lives, to equip them to be leaders, to lead us, because we're going to ask them to do that in the next two decades or sooner. And for our listeners, I want you to think about the depth of the value of that one comment there, whether you're a parent or whether you lead a team. I actually think the value is, is equal, right? If you own a business, you know, you want your team or i.e. your kids or i.e. your customers. It's great if they want you. However, the ideal is for them to not need you. I think that's a really great distinction. Ryan, what is your perspective on the idea of a parent being a best friend of a kid? Well, and that's obviously, you know, (laughs) that's a tough one. Here's what I have to say. It's not your job to be their friend. Mm -hmm. Like they can be friends and they can rub shoulders and they can wrestle and play sports and everything else with the kids at school. They can do that stuff somewhere else. Your job is not to be their friend. That doesn't mean you can't have a deep relationship. That doesn't mean you can't have fun together. But I think the calling in my case of father is significantly greater than friend ever was. And so I want to have a healthy, playful, serious relationship with my child. But again, my determining factor is to render myself obsolete. Now, some people might hear that and say, that's pretty hardline stance. That's being a drill sergeant. Well, not necessarily, because if I approached my parental duties as a drill sergeant, that's actually probably doing more harm than good and not helping a child reach their full potential or be able to stand on their own two feet. Like if I peck my kids to death over every little thing and just beat them emotionally and physically, and that's not helping them be sustaining on their own. So there's a time for a hardline stance. There's a time for showing some empathy and compassion and kindness towards your children. So yeah, you're not a friend. You're a father or you're a mother. And that's significantly greater than any friend could ever be. I appreciate that distinction because it's something that I'll admit. I've not thought specifically about that question as a dad. And when I first heard that at the dad's retreat, I realized, wow, for some of these dads, that might go against what they've been thinking was the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, I think the spirit of your answer is something that we can all appreciate realizing that we have a specific role that is distinct from just being another friend. Right. Um, And it doesn't have to be an either or. It's a both and. I can be friends. However... I also have to be the one that parents, which means at times I'm going to be doing or saying things that they're not going to like in the moment, but it is my job. And so I really appreciate Think about this too, is that your title as parent includes all of the responsibilities of a good friend, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. support and compassion and having fun and being playful and doing things together. But a friend, the title of friend, does not include all of the responsibilities of parents. For example, discipline. It's not a friend's job to discipline. It's a parent's job to discipline. So that parenting title includes everything a friend would be responsible for as well. Well, And you know, the same way that I reflected to our listeners earlier that you could take this whole conversation and apply it as an entrepreneur and think about if you have employees that you lead that report to you. I think almost everything we're saying applies in the same way in that it's totally okay to fill all of those check boxes of being a friend, but you also have to fill the other boxes of leading and supporting and coaching. 
whereas a friend doesn't have to fill those check boxes. So I right. think that's awesome. Ryan, a couple more questions to finish. You know, I actually want our listeners to have to go learn about protecting, providing, and presiding by finding you at orderofman.com. There's a couple of questions that I want to ask. Number one, the beard. Yeah. I, I think it would take me a lifetime and a half to grow a beard <laughs> like that, if at all. There's got to be a story behind the beard. And if there's not, you can make one up and we'll appreciate it. No, it's actually really simple. I had that sexy stubble. You know what I'm talking about? Like the actors have, and it's, you know, that like yeah. one or two day, I guess it depends on how quick you can grow your beard, but it's a stubble, right? Three weeks for me. What, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's whatever it is. Okay. And my wife came to me and she doesn't like the stubble. So she's like, look, you've either got to shave or <laughs> grow it out. I'm like, deal. I'll grow it out. And so I committed to grow the year, the year. That's a beard without trimming it, cutting it for an entire year. Wow. So that's what I did. Yeah. And it was long. It's probably three or four inches longer than what it is now. So I grew the year and she likes it. I liked it. I just like it. So I trimmed it up and I keep it at about this length, which is maybe like 10 or 11 months. You know, you're positioning yourself well to play a heck of a Santa at some point. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I get tagged on just about every beard post and meme and everything else out there. So I've seen a lot of them. For those of us that don't have a beard, what would be the most surprising aspect of having a beard? Like what would none of us realize that when you have a beard, it creates this experience for you that we might not think about if we've never had one. So there's definitely a level of, it's interesting, a level of respect and or intrigue from people. Like I've had more people hold open the doors, more people engage in a conversation with me because of the beard. Like last night I was in the convenience store and there was a father and he had four little girls and the little girls were like touching each other on the shoulder, like, look, and they were pointing at me. And and so like, (laughs) so you have to get used to some attention. The other side of it that I would say is that it's not like really glamorous at all time, you know, like it takes work. It's not just grow it out and everything's fine. It takes, it's like, you know, you got to tend to the beard. Exactly. And if you don't, it's going to look like garbage and that's not the look I'm going for either. So there's a lot of like maintenance that goes along with it. Okay. Noted, noted for my future beard aspirations. I'm going to note this advice. (laughs) Um, I was going to ask you just one more question, but I actually, I want to honor that somebody did share a question. John Negretti. John, good day from you, buddy. And his question that he posted in the Facebook group live right now is, do you have any ideas or rite of passage kinds of ideas for dads with their daughters? He says he has a strong-willed four-year-old daughter that scares the crap out of him. So yeah. I know you've got three boys and a girl. Any thoughts on raising daughters? Yeah, that's a tough call because, is it John? Is that right? That's right. Yep. Okay. It's tough, John, because here's the deal. My daughter just turned three. And so for us to have like a rite of passage isn't something that I have had to go through. But what I would suggest, and one thing that I'm considering doing is that we court and date our daughters. I think that's really important. The same way that we would court and date our spouses, because at the end of the day, our daughters are looking to us as an example of the type of men that eventually they're going to give their heart to. And we've got to be able to decide or be deliberate about the type of men that we would be comfortable with giving our daughter's hand to. And that's a, that's a tough thing. Outside of that, at the age that my daughter is right now, is tea parties are really important to her. So as much as I do not want to sit down and have a tea party with my daughter, I have a tea party with my daughter because that's what she wants. And so we have those conversations. So as far as that goes, that's what I would do. Of course, as they get older, I think there's opportunities. I'll give you an example of my son that we did, my oldest son that we did, that would work really well for daughters. 
my son, like I said, wants to be a veterinarian. And so I have a friend who is a veterinarian. I called him up. I said, Hey, Casey, can I come over to your office and take my son to your office and just, you do your thing, but we'll just watch you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that for sure. So we went over and he extracted uh, dog's teeth. So my son got to watch that. He had to weigh in and measure another dog. So my son got to watch that. He had to give a cat a pill, which was hilarious and just ridiculous to try to give a cat a pill. So my son <laughs> got to watch that. But so here's the thing, like we can nurture these cool things that our daughters and our sons are interested in. Like it's not enough just to, have a book and say, here, read about animals, like give them the experience. So if your daughter's interested in horses, cool, go on a horseback ride, take her on a horseback ride. The other day, my sons and I have been driving by this place near our home and they do helicopter tours. I'm like, and every time they're like, dad, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. So I went to school the other day and I took them out of school in the middle of school. And I said, come on guys. And they're like, what are we doing? I said, just come on. And we went on a helicopter ride. I got, give them experiences. That's what I think is the best rite of passage that you can create for a daughter or a son. I love that. I love that. Ryan, that's awesome. I'm going to invite everybody and encourage everyone. If you're watching us live through the Facebook stream, please go visit Ryan at orderofman.com. Whether you are a man or there is a man in your life that you want to educate on behalf of, please go check out Ryan, his podcast, his growing, rapidly emerging community. I think there's a reason why there's a lot of attraction, Ryan, to what you're doing. And I think today's episode certainly give people clarity on why your community is so strong and growing. You have so much to share, so much to offer. It's been awesome for me just getting to know you and uh, looking forward to continuing to follow as a fan and a friend as you move forward, buddy. This was awesome. Thank Likewise. You. I really appreciate the opportunity and just getting to know you a little bit better. And I'm looking forward to having a relationship with you for sure. Awesome. Ryan, thanks, buddy. Take Thank care. You. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast.